We'll actually begin at the first verse of Matthew chapter 5. The Bible reads, And seeing the multitudes, he, Jesus, went up into a mountain, and when he was set, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Before we begin, let's once again seek the Lord's help. Our Father, we come to you as poor and as needy sinners. We have nothing to offer you. We are nothing. We can do nothing. And we stand in need of all things. We pray, Lord, that now you would be gracious to us by sending us your Holy Spirit, that you would bless the preaching of your word. We pray, Lord, that you would help the preacher to preach rightly and clearly. And may the applications of your word come to our hearts with the power of your Holy Spirit. Please change us. Please give us grace to see how much we need you. And Lord, as we know from this passage, you have spoken these words for the comfort of your people. And Lord, for all of us here today who are carrying a burden, down, depressed, sad, on the verge of giving up, We pray, Lord, that you would comfort each heart by the gospel of your Son, Jesus Christ. We ask for your mercies in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning we saw a characteristic about all kingdom citizens, namely that everyone in the kingdom of God is poor in spirit. Or, in the way that Martin Martin Lloyd-Jones put it, there is no one in the kingdom of God who is not poor in spirit. Everyone in the kingdom of God has been humbled to see and to know and to feel their need for God, and they consequently go to Jesus Christ. This evening, I would like for us to look at the verdict about Christians I say verdict because that's what Jesus says here in this verse. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, Jesus, when He says that word blessed, it's actually a declaration. It's a judgment. And when we hear the word judgment, we might think, hey, that sounds negative. It's not the negative type of judgment, like bringing judgment down upon someone, but it's making a judgment, a verdict. Jesus is looking at the poor ones in spirit and He looks at them and He says about them, happy ones. Happy ones are the ones who are poor in spirit for to them belongs the kingdom of heaven. His verdict and His declaration about them is that they are blessed. They are happy. Now, there is a challenge here for me as a preacher Because the Bible was not written in English. The New Testament was written in Greek. And when we read these words, blessed are the poor in spirit, that word in the Greek for blessed is actually the word for happy. So Jesus here is saying, literally, happy ones, the poor in spirit. There's not even that word are in the Greek. So happy ones, the poor in spirit, For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now when we read those words, 
happy ones or blessed, we shouldn't get the idea that Jesus is saying that all true Christians always have a smile on their face. That's not what He's saying. Jesus is looking at the poor ones in spirit and He's making a declaration about them. He's making an an observation about them. He's coming to a verdict about them. And He says to them, these are the happy ones right here, the ones in front of Me, the ones that are poor in spirit. And then He gives us the reason why. Now, in in this morning sermon... I tried to zero in on what it means to be poor in spirit, and it basically means that you see about yourself that I am nothing, I have nothing, and I stand in need of all things. In other words, the true Christian is the person who sees that they desperately need God. And they don't just sit there with their need, but they actually go to Christ. And Jesus says about these people, these poor ones in spirit, that they're happy. They're in a happy state. And then he gives the reason why. For this evening's message, I would would like for us to look at the reason why Christians are in a happy place or in a happy state. Or why are Christians so fortunate? Jesus gives the reason why. We can even render the verse like this. The poor ones in spirit are fortunate because the kingdom of heaven is theirs. That's what this verse is teaching us. That's what Jesus is teaching us. And so we come first to the first point, what does kingdom of heaven mean? What does kingdom of heaven mean? Jesus is saying, the poor ones in spirit, the ones who are humble before God, They are fortunate. Why? Because to them belongs the kingdom of heaven. When Jesus spoke those words, He meant them to be encouraging words, comforting words. But when we read them with American eyeballs, it's a little hard to understand what's going on here. And for us to understand, we need to step back and understand first, what is the kingdom of heaven? I'm not going to do this, but if I were to do this, if I were to pick on you and point you out here in the congregation and say, you, please, stand up. Tell us what the kingdom of heaven is. It's a little bit of a complicated subject. It's involved. It's a challenging concept to grasp. And Jesus Himself, in dealing and teaching His disciples, if you'll remember, there were times, or at least a time, in the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ, where the Lord even thinks out loud, if you'll remember. Remember when Jesus said, whereunto shall I liken the kingdom of heaven? So in other words, Jesus had to teach His disciples with parable after parable after parable about this thing, about this concept called the kingdom of heaven. He didn't give them a technical definition, but He gave them parables and pictures to try to get them to understand because it is a hard thing to understand. And so, let's dive into this by God's grace. The kingdom of heaven is basically this. It's God's kingdom and it's God's rule. Now, the kingdom of heaven, there is a sense in which God is king over all things. We would, no one here would disagree with that, I don't think. Unless the person might be unconverted. But, 
God is king over all things. Think about everything. And let's say it's in this invisible circle right here. God is king over all things in that circle. He is the sovereign. He is the supreme ruler of the universe and of all things in it. And when God created all things, there He was as king of all things. And He never stops being king of all things. It's never interrupted. He never takes a break. He's always in control. He is always the sovereign. But God in His sovereignty allowed there to be a disturbance in that rule. And that disturbance was sin. Sin came in through the devil and through the temptation of Adam and Eve. And there was created inside of God's sovereignty, inside of God's universal rule, this pocket of rebellion. And that pocket of rebellion is where all of the sin happens, where human beings are, where the demons are. And we should never get the idea that God is no longer in control of those things. He absolutely is, because remember, He is in control of all things. The kingdom of heaven is when God penetrated that pocket of rebellion. It's when He decided to break into it and to slowly, incrementally overcome that rebellion. And if you, if you think about it this way, when was the kingdom of heaven first talked about? It wasn't an explicit mention. You'll never, you won't find, in the verse I'm about to mention, you won't find the words the kingdom of heaven, but it is the kingdom of heaven. After Adam and Eve sinned against God, after Adam as that representative sinned against God, sin came into the world, passed upon men, and here it is passed down to us. And when man sinned against God in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15 or 16, there is that first mention of the Gospel where God says that the seed of the woman shall bruise the head of the serpent and the serpent will, uh, will bruise the heel of the seed of the woman. And so we see that first mention of the Gospel, that first hint, that first clue that God in this pocket of rebellion was going to penetrate it and was going to destroy and break that rebellion. And stick with me here, I know it's a little complicated. But there is also a sense in which the kingdom of God has come. In Genesis chapter 3, like I mentioned, the kingdom of heaven was mentioned that it would come, but the kingdom of heaven actually did come. And if you'll remember, in the book of Matthew, we were reading about uh, John the Baptist and how he began to preach the gospel and he said, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. There it is. It's within arm's reach. It's touchable. It's here. It's present. The kingdom of heaven actually arrived. And the kingdom of heaven arrived at the coming of Jesus Christ. And that kingdom of heaven has certain characteristics how does the kingdom of heaven spread? The kingdom of heaven spreads through preaching. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 12, we read these words, And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. This is actually one of my favorite Bible verses. You might find that weird, but it's just a fascinating Bible verse to me. 
Let's read it again. And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. This is one of my favorite verses because it's so, it's so interesting. The Lord here is saying that when John the Baptist showed up on the scene, he came carrying a message. And that message was repentance. And that the kingdom of heaven had arrived. And as you know, there were people that were being baptized by John. In other words, John had converts. When John preached the Bible and preached the Gospel, people were actually saved. They understood the Gospel. They embraced the Gospel. They turned from their sins. They turned to the Lord. They embraced the Kingdom of God. And the Lord here is summarizing the ministry of John the Baptist and saying, listen, when this man called John the Baptist, when he started opening his mouth and preaching, he created a chain of violent reactions. People started to press into the Kingdom of God, take hold of the Kingdom of God. We all know what this looks like. Black Friday. You see that sign advertising a sale at a store and you see all these people waiting outside until those doors open and the employees go running for their lives and diving behind aisles. This, this is the same idea. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven is suffering violence. There's a tumult at the gate of the city. There's, there's a... There's action going on. There's a reaction going on. People are hearing about their sin. Hearing about the coming of the King. Hearing that the Kingdom is now here. Hearing about their sin. And it creates a reaction in them to where they run to God for mercy. And we all who are Christians here know something about this. When you first heard the Gospel and God first saved you, what was your first reaction? You saw your sin And then you immediately, instinctively, by the grace of God, ran to God for mercy. That's what it means to take the kingdom of heaven by violence. The violent take it by force. And so we see that the kingdom of God is spread through preaching. Its activity involves the preaching of the Word. The salvation of sinners. Remember that the kingdom of heaven is God's rule. That pocket of rebellion has been penetrated Jesus has come, and now Jesus is now, uh, through the message of the Gospel being preached, things are happening. The Kingdom is growing, is is expanding. That, That pocket of rebellion is being filled up, and one day will be engulfed, and everything will be under God again. The next question is, where is the Kingdom of of Heaven located? In Luke chapter 17 we read the answer to that question. Luke chapter 17 and verse 21. Neither shall they say, Lo, here, or look, there, for behold, the kingdom of God is within you. Here's another clue about the kingdom of heaven. It's not something you can go punch it in your GPS and find it. Oh, there it is, the kingdom of heaven. No, it's something that's within human hearts. It's something that's going on inside of men. They were rebels against God, and when the Gospel comes, they're captured again for the Kingdom. There is also a sense that the Kingdom is not in our hearts, but is something that will come. Something here now, yes, in our hearts, but something also that shall come. 
And perhaps there's an intimation of this in Romans chapter 8 where the Bible says that all of creation groans and travails waiting for the adoption. There's something that is to come regarding the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. And by the way, you might hear me interchanging those terms, the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God. Both things are the same. What is the kingdom of heaven doing right now? In Matthew chapter 13, verses 31 through 33, another parable put he forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven, here's Jesus giving a parable about the kingdom. The kingdom of heaven is like to a grain of mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field, which indeed is the least of all the seeds, but when it is grown, it is the greatest among herbs and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and lodge in the branches of it. Jesus is comparing the kingdom of God as something that a man planted a seed, and that seed grew, and it kept growing, and it kept growing, and it became this massive reality. Same thing with the kingdom of God. This is the kingdom of God is the gospel. Jesus came in an obscure town, in an obscure country, and he grew and ministered and preached, and from that little seed came up a sprout. And that tree began to grow to where now, in 2023, we are here in Downingtown, Pennsylvania, in America, across the oceans, and we're hearing about Jesus Christ. That is the kingdom of God making its way, growing. That is what the kingdom is doing right now. And as I said earlier, the kingdom of God right now is being seized by hungry, poor sinners. In fact, I would even venture to say this, what we're doing right now is kingdom work. If you're a Christian in this building, what you're doing right now is a manifestation of the kingdom of God. And this really shifts our mindset and our worldview. The Christian life may look boring to some people from the outside. Look at them. All they do is, you know, have a nice, cute life. They're there with their families. They pray. They teach the Bible. They go to church. From the outside, it looks very boring. But it is a spiritual, great, eternally significant reality. We were all sinners in the kingdom of darkness, away from God, far from God, not caring about God. And when God saved us, He changed us, and now He is sanctifying us. The kingdom of God within us is growing. And we speak the gospel, and the gospel is heard by our coworkers, by our families, and some of them are converted. They go on and tell other people about the gospel, and we just see this massive chain reaction. The Christian life is not boring. The, the, the little, minute, mundane things of life that we sometimes think are no big deal, not really important, they are important. A husband loving his wife is the kingdom of God. A wife submitting to her husband is the kingdom of God, its expression, its manifestation. We see another thing about the kingdom in Matthew chapter 6, verse 10. Thy kingdom come, when Jesus was giving that Lord's prayer, that model prayer to his people, how we should pray, Your kingdom come. Your will be done in earth as, as, it, as it is in heaven. The kingdom of God is here. 
The kingdom of God is growing. The kingdom of God is is claiming territory of darkness for the King. The kingdom of God is also being prayed for by Christians. Every time a Christian bows his head and prays for the salvation of a sinner, he is in essence praying, Thy kingdom come. The kingdom is also coming in a future sense. Matthew chapter 6, verse 10. Again, that's the same one that we just looked at. Thy kingdom come. This is a future reality and also a present reality. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is something that we also need to seek. The kingdom of God in chapter 13, verses 41 through 43. I won't read the verses, but. We read that reality of the wheat and the tares. The kingdom of God right now is experiencing some mixture. There are some people, even though right here, right now, this is a manifestation of the kingdom of God, Grace Church in Downingtown, there might be some in this building right now, or there might be visitors who come every once in a while who are not Christians. There might be even some members in churches that are not Christians. And even though this is a manifestation of the kingdom, there are some in the church, there are some who visit the church who are not Christians. And so there is that, that um, gray area, that uh, fuzzy part of the kingdom where we don't really know exactly who is part of it, who is not. We do have ideas. We, do have, you know, we, do, we are sure about certain people, but certain people we're not exactly sure of. The kingdom of God is in this transition it's, uh, it's like the, the, the sun is setting. The sun has set, or excuse me, the sun was set, the kingdom of darkness, and the sun starts to rise. And there's that area, that, that time of the day where it's getting bright, but it's still kind of dark. We're in that transition right now, but one day the sun will rise in its full strength, and the kingdom of heaven will cover all things. The kingdom also is waiting for its king to return. The kingdom of heaven right now, the king is, is a, there's, a, there's an embassage. There's that first part of the kingdom that is here right now, but then the fullness of the kingdom will come, and that's when the king himself will be here. Maybe, well, let me put it this way. Recently, I was studying about Solomon. I was going to preach about him at chapel at the Christian school. And I realized something about Solomon's reign is that Solomon's reign, his kingdom, was a lot like a little replica of the kingdom of God. I don't know if you've ever sat down to to look at this, but the name Solomon means peace. Jesus is called the Prince of Peace. Solomon's reign enjoyed 40 years of peace and no war. Jesus' kingdom is one in which peace reigns in the hearts and lives of His people. Solomon's reign involved the subjugating, the putting down of rebellion. If you'll remember, David, when he was dying, told Solomon and said, Solomon, take care of those men that I didn't take care of. And when Solomon became king, he executed some of the men. In other words, the kingdom of Solomon, its peace was established by the destruction of its, of its enemies. In the same way, the kingdom of God, that is also happening. And you might wonder, what? what? 
God is executing people from His kingdom? Yeah. Every time a sinner dies, that is the rule of the Lord Jesus Christ being manifested. Every time a person who is not a Christian dies, that is King Jesus executing His sovereignty over them. I thought of this illustration that hopefully will be helpful. Imagine a father who, had his, who has a son. And he says, son, come with me. I want to show you something. I want to show you something amazing. And so they both jump in the car. And they're driving. And the son is saying, dad, where are we going? Don't worry, son. Don't worry, son. Dad, where are we going? Don't worry, son. They get to a place. This plot of land... And there's a tall fence. And the dad didn't know about the tall fence, but the dad is tall enough to see over that fence. And the son comes alongside the father, and the father looks over at that fence. He looks over at what's behind the fence, and he sees this vast inheritance. And that father says to the son, Son, you are one happy, one fortunate, one blessed boy. And the son wants to know what it is. He said, son, you're not... All you need to know right now is that you are one blessed, fortunate child. Everything that I see, everything that has been given to me is yours. And that, even though sometimes if we were that child, we would, we would be a little bit disappointed. Oh man, I wanted to see it. You will see it. It's already yours in principle, and it will be yours in its fullness. But for right now, be content to know that it is yours in principle and it will be yours in fullness at the right time. And in a sense, that's what Jesus is saying here in these words that we read in Matthew chapter 5, verse 3. We read, Blessed, happy ones, fortunate, you poor ones in spirit, you who go about with a heavy heart and a heavy conscience, knowing that you have sinned against God, knowing that you need the grace of the Lord, you Christians who go about your lives afflicted daily, uh, afflicted by the world, afflicted by the devil, afflicted by the flesh, afflicted by all of the, th- all of the effects and pains associated with a fallen world, you are fortunate and you are blessed. And Jesus gives the reason why. He says, you are fortunate and you are blessed far above everyone else in this entire world because yours is the kingdom of heaven. This massive, valuable, beautiful, glorious reality of the kingdom of God is in the possession of the people of God right now in their hearts. They know Jesus Christ. They understand His mercy. They heard His Gospel. They embraced all that He is. They are saved. They have their sins forgiven. They have the Holy Spirit dwelling within them. They have a home in heaven. All of these things are involved in the Kingdom of Heaven. And God is saying, Jesus here is basically saying to His people, you are the fortunate ones because you have the King. You have Me as your King and you have all of the blessings of My rule and of My reign. Is that clear? Does that make sense? 
I'm hoping it does. Jesus' words come into clearer view. In other words, Jesus is saying, you Christians are so privileged and so blessed because you are in and you have part of the Kingdom of God. You think about those people that are on the border of the United States. And I'm not getting into politics here. I'm just looking at it as a preacher and using it as an illustration. But just think about those people in, on the border of the United States. They see something about the United States that wants them want to come here. We can all agree on that. They see something about the United States that's, that's attractive to them and they want to be part of it. They want to be here. And so they try to enter into that kingdom that they see, the United States. And in, their, in the hearts of some, it would be devastating if they would, never, if they would never be able to make it into the United States. Well, imagine if you, forget the United States, imagine if you could not enter into the kingdom of heaven. The, kingdom, the, um, the United States is this big compared to the kingdom of heaven, how important it is to be a Christian how glorious it is to be a Christian and in His kingdom and to know God. And so, brethren, we have some applications for us to think about. With all of this in mind, Jesus is saying, you are so blessed to be part of My kingdom. You are the happy ones. You are the fortunate ones. The the world says the CEOs, the rich, the powerful, the famous, the celebrities, those are the blessed ones. Jesus says, no, these are the blessed ones. The ones that know they need Me. And the ones that come to Jesus Christ believing in Him, latching onto Him, not letting go of Him. Even though trials come and afflictions come, those are the happy ones because theirs is the kingdom of God. They know Me. They love me. I love them. And I'm going to keep them in this life. And I'm going to bring them safely to heaven. Is there anything better than that? Would you trade being in the kingdom of heaven for an easy life? Would you trade knowing God for a little bit of extra smiles in life? That would be insane. And so brethren... One of the applications for us is that we really don't have anything to complain about. We really don't have anything to complain about. Our lives, yes, they're full of trials. They're full of afflictions. And some of us see our brethren suffering afflictions that are way harder than what we're facing. And we look at them and we're encouraged by them. We say to ourselves, maybe not outwardly to them, but we say to ourselves, how in the world are they surviving this? How in the world are they continuing in the faith? And we're encouraged by them. And maybe you are one of those people that are undergoing severe trial, or maybe you foresee trial coming in the future. Maybe it's the fear of persecution as we heard about this morning. Or maybe death is on the horizon. Or maybe some tragic event. Or maybe... Just old age and the battles that come along with it. At the end of the day, no matter how painful, no matter how tormenting, no matter how difficult the trials we have are, 
we need to step back and we need to realize I really don't have anything to complain about. Why? Because I'm in the kingdom of God. Yes, yes, it's painful. Yes, I cry myself to sleep. Night after night after night. Yes, I'm facing depression. Yes, Satan is afflicting me and he just made me into his target and he's just unleashing every arrow he has at me. But at the end of the day, I still have nothing to complain about. Why? Because I know God. He has saved me from my sins. He has translated me from the kingdom of Satan. He has put me into the kingdom of His dear Son. Even if He slay me, still will I serve Him and love Him and glorify Him. Even if God takes everything away I hold dear, I am still blessed. Because I'm in His kingdom, I know Him. And even if I die, the worst thing that can happen to a Christian is he'll go to heaven. And that's a good thing. That's not a bad thing. Brethren, we really don't have anything to complain about. The key outside of the dark room of depression is the kingdom of God. Think about it. Meditate on it. When when you're in pain emotionally, when you're facing struggles and trials, depression, whatever it is, turn your mind back to these words, fortunate are the poor in spirit ones, for to them belongs the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is my King and He is in control. I am in Jesus' kingdom a kingdom of peace in my heart, and one day His kingdom will swallow up and envelop all things. And brethren, there was something that was in my mind as I was thinking about the applications for today, and it's this. It's Proverbs chapter 25, verse 20. There's a principle here. As he that takes away a garment in cold weather, and as vinegar upon soda... So is he that sings songs to a heavy heart. There's a, there's a principle here that when you see a brother or sister in Christ, when you see anyone for that matter, who is having a heavy heart, do you know what you shouldn't do to someone who's sad? Start singing songs really loud in their face. That's not kind. That's not compassionate. That's not right. And there was a sneaky suspicion in my own heart that as I was preparing this message that I don't want to come across like that. I don't want to look at my brethren here today, all of you, and say that, you know, whatever your trials are, don't worry about it, you're in the kingdom. I don't want it to make it sound like I'm singing songs to a heavy heart. But if you notice something, when Jesus spoke these words, who was He talking to? He wasn't talking to people who had easy, breezy lives, who were just floating through life. Everything was easy and happy. No, he was, remember, the crowds, it was a hospital scene. All these people, sick people, tormented people, being healed. And Jesus looks at them and blessed and says, blessed, happy ones are the poor in spirit, which presupposes that there were people there who were poor in spirit who felt their need for God, who were even felt that poverty of spirit. And Jesus encourages them and comforts them, not by saying, 
you know what, I won't say anything because I don't want to remind them about their trials and their tribulations and their afflictions. No, Jesus does do it. But He does it graciously and lovingly. And He says, Blessed are you, poor in spirit ones, because yours is the kingdom of heaven. In other words, that gives us warrant that when we are afflicted or when we see a brother or sister in Christ afflicted, we should come to them wisely, carefully, compassionately, but to help them remember the blessings that are theirs in Christ. Help them to remember, yes, brother, this is hard, this is difficult. Yes, sister, I know this, this must be a, a, a severe trial in your life. I weep with you. I feel with you. But let us remember that by God's grace, we are in the kingdom. And He has saved us. And He has changed us. And He is with us no matter how we feel. And that He will bring us safely home to heaven. And so, brethren, whatever you're struggling with, Whatever you're struggling with, remember the kingdom of heaven. God has saved you. God loves you with an everlasting love. He sent His Son to die on the cross for you. He will not forsake you. Do you think that God saved you and brought you this far only to say, you know what, I'm tired of this. God doesn't give up on His people. Keep looking to the reality of the kingdom and draw from it all of the comfort you can. And if you look at this verse and you can't draw comfort, then come to Him as one poor in spirit and say, Lord, I know I'm supposed to be comforted by the doctrine of the kingdom of God. I know I'm supposed to be comforted by the gospel, but I'm not feeling very comforted. Will you help me? Keep seeking, keep knocking, keep asking. Our attitude should be like Jacob when he was wrestling with God. And he said, I will not let you go until you bless me. So brethren, whatever you're struggling with, latch on to God. Latch on to the Gospel. Latch on to Jesus Christ. Hold on to Him as hard as you can and say, Lord, even if you don't comfort me, I'm still going to stick around. I'm going to be like gum on your shoe. I'm not letting you go. If you're not a Christian, realize what you're missing out on. You're like, if you're not a Christian, you're basically like someone who is part of a conquered kingdom that the soldiers may not have gotten to you yet, but they will. And you're living your life as if things will just keep going on the way they've always been going on, but you're not realizing that the kingdom of God is moving and advancing and one day will cover all things. It's time for you, if you're not a Christian, to pull up that white flag of surrender and give yourself up. Surrender to the King Jesus. Submit yourself to His kingdom and to His rule. And brethren, I want to give one more passage and also serves as an illustration for us of this very thing. In Psalm chapter 73. Psalm chapter 73. Psalm chapter 73. Truly God is good to Israel 
even to such as are of a clean heart. But as for me, my feet were almost gone. My steps had well nigh slipped. I was envious at the foolish. When I saw the prosperity of the wicked, for there are no bands in their death, their strength is firm. They are not in trouble as other men. In other words, this is a poor in spirit man looking across to the other side and saying, hey, why aren't they poor in spirit? I'm poor in spirit. Why don't they suffer like I'm suffering? Maybe I'm the one who's in the wrong place. Maybe I shouldn't be a Christian. They are not in trouble as other men. Neither are they plagued like other men. Therefore, pride compasses them about as a chain. Violence covers them as a garment. Their eyes stand out with fatness. They have more than heart could wish. They are corrupt and speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak loftily. They set their mouth against the heavens, and their tongue walks through the earth. Therefore his people return hither, and waters of a full cup are wrung out to them. And they say, How does God know? And is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the ungodly who prosper in the world. They increase in riches. And here now the psalmist basically looks at all of the the evil, all of the sin, and it looks like the world is not only having fun, but it looks like they're getting away with it. Here they are sinning, sinning their lives away, and it's like everything is going fine for them. And the psalmist starts doubting, second-guessing himself and his faith. And he says this, Verily, he basically says, you know what? I think I've cleansed my heart in vain. Maybe I washed my hands in innocency for all the day long. Here's what my life is like. Their life is all happy and laughter. Here's what my life is like. All the day long, I'm plagued. I'm chastened every morning. If I say I will speak thus, behold, I should offend against the generation of your children. When I thought to know this, it was too painful for me. until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then I understood their end. Surely you did set them in slippery places. It looks like they're having fun, but I didn't realize that. Look at, what, look at where they're standing. They're standing on slippery places. At any moment, they're going to fall. Even though they're having fun outwardly, and I'm suffering here inwardly, they one day shall fall. You cast them down into destruction. How are they brought into desolation? As in a moment, they are utterly consumed with terrors. As a dream when one awakes, so, O Lord, when you awake, you will despise their image. Thus my heart was grieved and I was pricked in my reins. I was so foolish and ignorant. I was as a beast before you. And here there is a heart change in the Christian. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. I have the kingdom of God. I know God. I am His and He is mine. I am continually with you. You have holden me by my right hand. You shall guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will receive me to glory. Whom do I have in heaven but you? There is none upon earth that I desire beside you. My flesh and my heart fails. Doesn't that sound like poverty of spirit? But God is the strength of my heart. Remember Paul's words, in, when I am weak, then, am I, then I am strong. Brethren, when we are poor, that's when we're rich. 
When we are poor in ourselves, that's when we become rich in Jesus Christ when we look to Him. My flesh and my heart fails, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For look, they that are far from you, you know what their end will be? They will perish. You have destroyed every single one that goes prostituting themselves from you. But it is good for me to draw near to God. I have put my trust in the Lord God that I may declare all your works. That is the heart attitude of the Christian. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, You have given us this key to free ourselves from the sadnesses of this life. We pray that we would use it well and use it often. Lord, whenever we get downcast, whenever we get burdened and afflicted, whenever we think and doubt whether we made the right turn, help us to look to Your Word and to remember what we have and that we have the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior. We have Him as our King. And we will be taken safely through life and brought safely to heaven by Your grace. Help us, Lord, to appreciate, to really appreciate that we are in the kingdom and that we know the King and that we love the King and that the King loves us. Lord, help us to put to death all discontentment. Help us to put to death all discouragements. Help us, Lord, to learn how to think on Jesus and to really realize that we have nothing to complain about. We have been given Jesus Christ. There is nothing better than that. Help us to realize that, Father, to take it to our hearts and to draw comfort from it. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.